Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform Solutions, a show that provides financial institutions insight into marketplace solutions that can help with digital banking transformation. I'm your host, Jim Maroos, founder and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the Financial Brand. Digital transformation is a large endeavor that impacts all areas of a financial institution. Research shows that the biggest banks and fintech firms are doing the best in delivering digital solutions, while smaller banks and credit unions usually struggle. How can mid-tier organizations keep pace with consumer and small business expectations? Where should an organization start? How can you prioritize initiatives and partner with third-party solution providers and fintech firms to innovate and create positive experiences at scale quickly? For answers to these and other questions, we are joined by Ross Creasy, Chief Innovation Officer at Ameris Bank in Georgia, and Stuart Cook, Chief Digital Product Officer of Valley Bank in New Jersey. Both of these executives will share how they have become digital banking leaders in transformation. I couldn't be more excited. It's always fun to have actual financial institution partners or employees of financial institutions on the show because as opposed to us talking about theory and what we think is happening, we can really talk about what's really happening in the financial institutions. So Ross and Stuart, I'm so happy to have you here. Just as a little bit of background, Ross, you know, you're at Ameris in, in Georgia. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and also a little bit about um, Ameris? Yeah, first of all, thrilled to be here. We're headquartered here in, in Atlanta, Georgia. I've been in banking my entire career, really focused on the technology uh, that entire duration. And then Ameris, we're, we're a full service bank. We, we offer consumer, small business, commercial, construction, mortgage, uh, wealth, U.S. premium, SBA um, service to all of our customers. And we're bank in the Southeast. We offer mortgages in a, in a much broader footprint from a banking perspective. And uh, you started Ameris in 2019, correct? Started in 2019. Okay. And Stuart, uh, can you tell us a little bit about Valley Bank? I, I think we're going to notice right away that you have that New Jersey accent. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So very pleased to be here again, back in banking after probably the best part of uh, 15 years outside in fintech. So I am Chief Digital Product Officer at, at Valley Bank. I've uh, been here a couple of years previous to that, a couple of fintechs. And it seems like a long time ago, uh, I did a stint at, at RBS out of London. Um, so yeah, Valley Bank, uh, 40-odd billion assets uh, down the eastern seaboard. I'm actually based in Austin, Texas. So I've got a small product crew out there as well as a few folks in California. So we're a, a distributed team and yeah, really happy to be here. You know, you, Stuart, also started in, in 2019, as I read. And what is interesting is with both of you starting in 2019, you, you didn't get your feet too wet before we got thrown into the pandemic. So yeah. Ross, can you can you talk a little bit about what has happened at, at your organization, Ameris, over the last, let's say, year and a half? And what was a big takeaway that you saw from the results of the, from the, either the consumers or your financial institution as a result of the pandemic? It's definitely been a whirlwind. I will tell you, uh, we had a lot of things in flight before the pandemic hit that positioned us quite well to really be on the forefront. We already had a consumer online account opening platform. We were really in a good place with our mobile and digital technology for consumer and for business 
And within a month after COVID kind of kind of hit here in the States, we had rolled out uh, Zelle. So we were really well positioned. You know, we were operating at about 30% in the office, or excuse me, um, 30% remote before COVID. And we went to about 75, 80% within four weeks of COVID hitting. And so there was a a massive acceleration on some uh, investments that we already had in flight. We just blitzed it and uh, got it in place. And so I think it really, it positioned us to to weather uh, the pandemic. I think it fostered a new way around how our bank um, collaborates, got a tremendous amount of adoption on video, um, the use of chat. And I think it really has accelerated us in a way of how to collaborate and move the needle but in addition, start deploying WebEx to video with our customers, knowing that they didn't want us in their offices um, or we didn't. We had to be careful about them coming in. We we adopted um, video across the across the bank to do one on one videos with our customers, and so I think that was a big win for us that really um, uh, positioned us for really strong earnings and great servicing for our customers back last year and even continued into this year. And Stuart, from your perspective, how did you see things change at Valley Bank, both from the internally, but but from the consumer basis as well, or the customer basis? Yeah, I mean, similar. So when I joined, I did a reasonable amount of due diligence. Coming back to the bank wasn't really on my radar at the time. And we had some early adoption of the same, similar sort of technologies with Zoom and um, Teams and, and so on in, in the bank. I mean, it really forced... And accelerated those behaviors in the bank. We rapidly got laptops out to people and got them online and, and working from, from home. You know, at, at one point, a third of our branches were closed, a third were drive through only, and a third were uh, kind of appointment only. And we saw that, you know, it did accelerate some of the transition to, to digital as well in terms of the customers' usage. The real interesting exercise, I suppose, was the PPP response, where we kind of batted above our, our average there, and we're over two billion in loans and um, thirteen thousand um, small businesses um, with you know quite a small average um, loan size, and and that experience actually really accelerated the kind of collaboration Ross is talking about um, internally. You know, there just wasn't time to treat that like a traditional bank project. Not much time available there, was there? No, no. So we didn't have people with clipboards collecting requirements. So we were able to, you know, inspect and adapt, you know, as the various kind of final interim rules version three were released, we were able to, across the board, you know, ship early and often in terms of our PPP proposition. Um, And that was a a great catalyst, I think, for us. One, realising this the scale of change that we could do together in the bank cross-functionally and in a kind of agile fashion. And that's, you know, really set us up for some of the other change that we want to make to our legacy stack at the bank. So Stuart, you talk about the due diligence you did in coming to Valley Bank. You know, moving from a fintech to a bank, as you said, was not on your radar. What changed your mind? Because there has to be something there that you said, you know what? You know, maybe it was the big fish in a small pond or small fish in a big pond, doesn't matter which way it is. And, you know, what would what would prompt somebody 
to move from a fintech to a traditional bank. Yeah, and I'm I'm actively working on building my team, and I've got a a, a few folks coming on board now who you wouldn't ordinarily think would be coming to a bank like Valley. Really, it's uh, the size of the ambition, um, where we are positioned in terms of the bank. It's not the kind of um, challenge in the sense that we're here trying to convince uh, our CEO and CIO that here are the right things that we should be doing. It's that the, the bank really wants to drive that level of innovation and change. And they're, you know, I, I talk about this as a cultural transformation. I mean, sure, it's a digital transformation and there's a lot of technology strategy behind it. But but really, it's changing the ways that we that we work in the bank. And that was just too, too good for me. I, I love being part of those sort of changes. And again, there was just, you know, a lot of noise around what some of the challenger banks were doing in, in retail. Uh, and for me, it's like, how, how could we take the ways of working and some of the tools and techniques that those guys are using and then rethink that for kind of small business and, and mid-market? How, how do we rethink uh, a journey there to help uh, an entrepreneur set up their business, learn the right types of financial behaviors, be successful, and be along every step of that journey. And it, to me, that was kind of, that's what community banking was to me. I've always been fascinated by this country and the way, you know, um, we came out of the Great Depression with real relationships driving a kind of recovery. And, and for me, it's like, um, I think the opportunity to reimagine that with technology and, and digital is just intriguing. You know, it, it's interesting because you, you bring up the fact that your leadership is already in tune with what had to happen. And we see this on an ongoing basis. This is a challenge that, you know, you it's very hard to change leadership thinking, but it was already changed at Valley. You know, Ross, from your perspective, you came from a legacy banking uh, background. However, you came from some very large organizations, and Ameris is certainly not the biggest in the in the marketplace. Certainly not in the in the uh, George in the southeast region. So, what what prompted you to move? And and I ask that because you know you've taken on a very important role at your organization from an innovation and a digital perspective. So, you know what? And I, I'm bringing this up mainly because I think that both your organizations were already down the path of this change. And is that true? Yeah, you know, I lead, you know, all of technology and security and digital for the company. And I'll tell you what, what attracted me here is not only the culture, uh, but also the the ambition to grow, but not lose that community bank feel. And I, th- I think it really is important as you grow and get bigger, you don't, you don't lose your community roots and you don't lose the relationships and the servicing aspect, even though, you know, digital is absolutely a channel you have to offer and you have to be great at it. You don't want to lose those roots as you get bigger. And I, that's really what attracted me. You know, I'll tell you, when I when I look across our, our bank, similar to Stuart, PPP really that has opened eyes to a lot of people who had never really experienced digital channels before internally. And so when we went down the PPP path and offered digital channels for lending, it really accelerated the art of possibility in a lot of places that for folks that just had never experienced it before. And so that alone has really accelerated in many aspects our our digital transformation. And really, I think without something like PPP and the pandemic, I think that cultural transformation would have taken longer. But yeah, the leadership team, I think every time we're, in fact, we had earnings this morning and, you know, technology came up 
And it comes up every quarter. It comes up in every executive team meeting around how do we continue to make sure we drive efficiency in the bank and reinvest those dollars to help further accelerate our digital um, offerings to, to all of our customers and even to our teammates at the same time. Well, it's interesting, Ross, you, you bring up about the digital offerings and, you know, we many times get caught up in, we ask the question, you know, are you, do you provide digital account opening? Do you provide digital onboarding? And many times we get the yes. And then we find out that the process may take, you know, 15 to 20 minutes, which in my mind, yeah, you may enable it, but you haven't really done it digitally. So from your organization's perspective, how do you see the digital account opening and digital onboarding process as the importance of speed and simplicity and even empathy in where, you, where the consumer is? How do you personalize that journey? Yeah, I mean, I think that's where, that's why we, we invested in Terrafina. Um, we use them for consumer. Um, it has really allowed us to accelerate the speed of consumer online account opening. It gives us a lot of configurability to really make it the Ameris way with taking advantage of their speed and experience to accelerate it. So for me, that has been incredibly important. In fact, we are already started down the path of the small business online account opening that will launch later this year. And to me, the the pieces that are so critical to make online account opening valuable to not only our existing customers, but future customers is it's got to be fast. It's got to be intuitive. Um, and we got to make it easy for them. There's m- much of our 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 customers' data we already have. We need to make it easy for them to originate new accounts, whether it's for them um, or their family members. And I think that's really the partnership that we have with Terrafina. Uh, their openness, their speed, their agility has really gotten us to that place. So we're we couldn't be more thrilled where we are, uh, but even more excited this year when we launch um, our small business um, online account opening. You know, that's exciting. And, and Stuart, from your perspective, I got the indication that you're going through the same process, that you're you're trying to simplify and to, to make it easier to engage digitally and, and both on the new account opening and onboarding process, not only for consumers, but also small business. That's right. You're also looking at using multiple channels, that it's not just about driving digital because the consumer now is becoming aware of whether or not a financial institution or anybody they partner with is simply trying to save money through yeah. digital or if they're really trying to leverage digital, make a better experience. And there's such a, a gap between what you do and trying to just get somebody to do it on digital because it saves us money. And, you know, I go back to the ATM days. We did the same thing then. We never yeah. tried to make it a better experience. We just tried to cut costs. And we realized that, by the way, we just added transactions. We didn't cut costs really that much at all. Yeah. You know, what are you doing at Valley to, to make this all come together? Similar. I mean, we had an online account opening experience when I joined, uh, Jim pretty much as you described. Um, and for me, you know, I, I went back to the last time I, I worked at a bank and, you know, we thought we were smart back then. We were benchmarking what we were doing against other banks. You know, do we have bill pay and do we have various types of uh, transfers? And consumers don't care. Like we're, we're benchmarked against the very best experience that you have, right? So if you're using Uber, which we all take, for example, we all take um, for um, for granted now, as an example, um, and when you think about that experience, and uh, you know, ten years ago it didn't exist. Everything we do in a bank looks like it did ten years ago. I mean, we're still organised in the same way, and we have the proliferation of sort of Conway's law in banks. So, again, I used to joke: to get the very best out of your bank, you need to know how a bank works, because you know, if you took a mortgage out 
when you go and open another account, well, good luck because those two things are on separate systems and you wouldn't share the data across there. So, so for me, it was really important that we were thinking multi-channel and I describe it internally as creating a horizontal capability here around customer onboarding. And again, I try and change the language a bit because it's like, uh, you know, we're bringing customers on and forming a relationship with them. So that should be across channels and it should also be across accounts. And so for me, that was the importance in the technology choice here that we were able to you know, bundle products together, cross sell and upsell, r- recognize you if you're an existing customer. And as Ross says, you know, not make you fill in your name and address because we already know what it is. Um, and I suppose for me was when I talk about that onboarding is to make sure that you went through a journey that, you know, if you were applying on a mobile phone, at the end of it, you downloaded the app um, and were able to access the account in, in real time that you'd, you'd opened. So just trying to break down the silos and sort of abstract the way that we organize ourselves currently you know, in, in banking and, and think more holistically and customer, you know, with a customer centric view. So Stuart, when you're looking at your next project, you're hiring people right now on the innovation and data side. When you're looking at your next project, how do you integrate your thinking around partners like Terrafina in building what you're trying to build from both an innovation standpoint, product standpoint, deployment standpoint, all these different elements. How do you work on that partnership? How do you work with partners, be it Terrafina or anybody else, in making it so that they're on the same path, but they're also yeah. pushing you forward? Because you know the reason why we use third-party providers and, and basically the biggest advantage is a couple of things. Number one, it's like a GPS. It gets me there faster and less with less challenges and detours. They can leverage yeah. other organizations' experiences so you don't have to relearn what other, you know, you may come up with an idea and, and Terrafina says, you know what, we've seen this tried three different places and maybe it'll be different here, but we've seen problems and this is what the problem is. But as much yeah. as in anything else, it's the speed that they can do it at. Because, you know, if we try to build this stuff internally, it'd be difficult, but how do you manage that relationship? How do you manage that partnership so that they're in the same page as you are and maybe even a page ahead? Yeah, really important. And so in my last role, it was a CTO. Uh, so I'm a recovering CTO back back in product <laughs> where, I, where I belong. And I want a partner. Um, I want to understand the technology stack. And uh, I'll say that uh, when I met Terrafina and asked them some questions, they were open book. And we actually, like I started asking them about the data model and they sent me into the code completely open about it also you know we're a big salesforce shop um terrafina is built on the salesforce ecosystem i wanted to bring it into my org into my salesforce org and put it into my own pipeline so that i can manage it so that that relationship and and that openness was super important to me the other point about the platform is it's an open platform so you know, right now we use Alloy, we use Plaid, uh, we use DocuSign. And those are our choices, not, you know, Terrafina's choices. And there's a degree of openness uh, to their platform in the types of like enabling technologies that I could use. Those are all really important signs to me because we we need to be able to own the, the customer experience. And Ross mentioned the sort of high level or high degree of configurability of the of the platform so for me as i think about some of the niches and some of the areas that we're looking at 
right now. I want to be able to configure the right experience for those niches during that onboarding process and, and not just have something that, you know, comes out of the box, works a certain way and needs customization for the things I wanted to do. So, you know, I've been really pleased with our, our progress with the with the platform today. And, you know, our intent is uh, we'll put all the consumer uh, deposit products on we've got a release just coming up we've got small business coming um then we're putting it into branch um and we're going to move on to consumer lending so yeah we couldn't have done that without the level of transparency that terafina gave us when uh, when we first met them so ross from your perspective when you're looking at working with partners like terafina or anybody else are you looking to find the the best individual provider for anything that you're trying to do. So you're going to split this up. One thing we've seen is that, you know, what's great about these solution providers is many of them have already worked with anybody, any configuration you would put out there. So they, they know your core provider. They know organizations that may do uh, KYC. They may do things that, that you know, a, a company like Cherofino also does, but you may make the decision to go a different route for different components of this. How do you work with uh, partners like Terrafina with the pers- from the perspective of product development, innovation, digital transformation? How do you how do you do that exactly? Yeah, I mean, when we look at you know partners on who we're going to partner up with, it, we have to make sure it fits in our architecture. And if if we go down this path of having you know too many different platforms, it becomes incredibly expensive. And we all know in banking, you know, margins are not thick; they're thin, right? So we have to be very smart about it. I think we're similar to Stuart. We are heavily invested in Salesforce in terms of an overall platform, but we also have some third-party products that are built on Salesforce and Terrafina being one of the, the large ones. And so I think that benefit for us is when we look at our broader ecosystem around how we do sales, service, and marketing, everything is a, is a very much open architecture model where we can bring it together to really make it easier for our teammates to service and sell and market but also how we um, originate new customers and delight existing. So I think that's important. Terrafina has demonstrated uh, to us that they're highly agile. They, they move pretty fast. And, you know, that's what we like. I think, you know, for us, you're, you're never done with the transformation and the amount of work you have to get done. But typically, you've got a pipeline of things that you have to prioritize. And Palmer CEO said that this morning, we've got to be smart where we prioritize. But the quicker we can get something done that's of quality and has a great experience, the faster we can move to the next thing. And Terrafina has demonstrated that for us uh, with online account opening and um, the acceleration. But I think it's all the things that you have to put around it to make that experience, that customer experience um, solid um, is important. And we're, you know, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to, we're going to get all the online account opening platforms up and then we're going to move it into the branches to make it easier for our branches to originate a uh, new deposit account. So we, we couldn't be more thrilled, um, but that's that's important for us, a, a vendor that's agile and um, that aligns to our architecture. So so Ross, from your organization perspective, if you took different components, I, I see transformation, digital transformation coming to like seven different components, ranging from the customer experience to data and analytics, to innovation, to back office processes, to technology, to employees, engagement, and then leadership. From those, what is the biggest challenge at your organization? You say, you know, 
Chief, I, I wish we could move forward quicker in this area. What area do you feel like you really have to focus on right now more than anything to, to have the speed of change that you need to have? We got to be conscious on the volume of change. I always use the analogy of, you know, we're trying to change the engine and change the paint and change the seats while the, the plane's in the air. And we got to be smart around how we make that change, not only um, to our teammates, but also to our customers. And so we just have to be smart about our sequencing, but at the same time, you know, recognizing that our, our company still has to run the bank, right? So as, we, as we're deploying new things, we got to make sure our people are trained. They know how to use it, know how to serve it, know how to continue to service and sell, whether it, we're changing the way they do it. And so it's, that is the biggest challenge. You know, when I look at Q3 and Q4, probably 65% of what we're going to deliver in 2021 falls in those two quarters. And so we've, we've just, we got to be smart on when that change goes in, are all of our teammates trained, and is it going to delight the customer, and are, are we going to have quality when we launch? And so that's the biggest challenge we face here at Ameris. You know, there's there's so much on the table. I, I've been fortunate enough in the last uh, three weeks to meet with probably about 60 financial institutions. And I'm starting to hear the same thing, that that you have a situation that there's a lot of priorities. It's a matter of saying, you know, how can I make big impacts with little expenditure of effort? Not that we're trying to make it easy, but we have to do something. We have to move forward. How do we keep up with change? And how do we convince management to move forward? You know, from your perspective, Stuart, how do you prioritize what needs to be done? And, and from your organization's perspective, and not, not a dig against your organization, but you know, you guys are doing a lot for a relatively modest sized organization. How do you prioritize what needs to be done? And what's the biggest challenge you have in that overall implementation of those plans? I'm happy to say we've kind of in the process of shifting to uh, OKRs. And I like the focus that that, that brings to us as an organization. So, you know, we're thinking about our overriding ob- objectives and then breaking those down into into key results that helps us drive the right level of prioritization. I think our um transparently our uh the, our challenge and not not just us but particularly the the sort of cultural transformation I'm talking about is banks are full of projects and Actually, if you want to be successful at this, you've got to move to be a product organization. Now, I would say that, right, because I'm the chief product guy <laughs> there. But I, I, I truly believe it. I think that the, um, you know, some of the challenge around prioritization, typically in banks, is it's in-year returns. It's about quarterly earnings, driving the types of projects that get done. And, and actually to make the transformation to really compete with you know, what the, the types of businesses that are kind of coming around the edges, you know, a Stripe is not operating like that. For example, Chime's not operating like that. You know, they're thinking in, in different timeframes and they're thinking with a different mentality. And so I describe that as moving from a project organization to a product organization, you know, cross-functional, durable teams working on persistent opportunities. And that's a challenge because that's moving a whole mentality, but also the whole framework and the the whole way that a bank operates finds it hard to move into a kind of product orientation like that. And And when I say that, I say products to, you know, colleagues and friends in banking. I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, checking, savings, DDAs. And it's like, no, it's, I don't mean that. I mean, customer centric, 
teams working on you know opportunities and problem statements uh, around that and so yeah that's that's our challenge like we're trying to find the talent to come in and to help us drive some of that some of that change you know Stuart, you're as you said you're the product guy and there's a lot to be said right now that we get stuck in our own old product sets and and fintechs are making great inroads in providing new solutions new product innovations products completely outside the financial world. And, and if we look at an open banking environment, which you're from the UK, so you're more familiar with what open banking should look like in the future. But <laughs> if you look at you know, open banking or even further distribution of different types of services, and I'm not just yeah. saying products, but engagements, how important will it be going forward for a consumer to be able to have more reasons to go to your app to find more things that help them become more financially astute, more financially in control, as opposed to having maybe 20 different relationships to different organizations. Mm. How much do you focus on trying to bring these together so you can offer those really fundamental but integration projects that make it so that I'm going to my phone more often to your app? Yeah, I mean, this, this is a fascinating one. You know, I was part of a team that, built one of the original mobile banking platforms, started in the UK, it's what brought me to the US when uh, my friends at Visa invested and went through the life cycle there. And, you know, we all like, it's a kind of bundling and then the great unbundling and then the sort of bundling. And so I remember back then thinking about the types of services that we should have on our platform. And we always talked about, you know, banking first, um, we had a lot of experience around the kind of um, journey that we'd seen from a consumer point of view in in internet banking uh, when I worked at a bank. And so getting people to understand the value uh, just on a kind of check my balance to making a payment and then to driving in- engagement that way. At Valley, I tend to think that someone asked me about this the other day in PayPal and the super app. And it's like, I said, you know, thanks. Banks were the, the original super app. I mean, Ross, Ross described it. We you know, we have a yeah. range of services. So for so for me, I think it is around that the life cycle of a, of our customers and and using data to better understand you know where they are in that life cycle and when it's appropriate to surface our own products, but also partner products as well. So I do I do see a future where. You know, we, we may be white labeling or, or we may not. And, you know, in the UK, there are some examples of, you know, like Starling Bank and their, right. their platform and the way they've introduced partner services. So, we, you know, we keep we keep an open mind on on that. And I think our, our starting point is to is just to be better at understanding our customers needs and their unmet needs and making sure the right services are surfaced at the, at the right time in their use and their interactions with us. So, so Ross, from your perspective, how at risk are our relationships, our account holder relationships, if we don't build more reasons for them to engage? In other words, where do you put your focus? And is it an important focus to look at other ways to provide engagement opportunities that maybe aren't always sales opportunities? They may be content marketing and maybe budgeting tools, things like this. How much is your organization focused on saying, how can I expand the reasons for why a consumer may want to, to engage with us 
for their benefit, not maybe necessarily for ours, because at the end of the day, it's going to benefit us. But, but the problem is we've gotten so focused on our individual products that sometimes we lose sight of the fact that the relationship overall is now built more on what can we bring to the table? And in a digital world, it's certainly much easier. How important is that from your perspective? Oh, it's it's very important. I mean, you, you talk about, you know, Google and Amazon and what they're doing and, and and they're using the power of data to power what they're doing to what Stuart said a little bit earlier around product. I mean, we have a cross-functional consumer team that that's all they do is focus on on that. Like, what can we do to, to make our service better? What can we do? to offer more, to, to get more consumers and how do we keep them engaged? And so I think it's, it's incredibly important. If you're just going to think that you're just going to go and offer a deposit account and a loan and think you're going to be successful, you're going to, you're, you're not going to be successful. You're going to get outrun. And I think it's all about engaging your customer and knowing, understanding their transactions and understanding where they're in their journey to make the right offers to them at the right time. And if you're, if your digital technology is not in front of them, there's really no easy way to engage with them. Because I think we're I think we're past the days of mailing. I mean, I came from Capital One. That was a big thing at Capital One. We mailed everybody everything. Yep. But you've got to get them engaged with your mobile app. And that's the that's the way to keep them engaged and understand where they are in their journey to grow financial wealth and uh, security. So Ross, on the same theme, I guess, to a degree, when you're looking at expanding reason for a, an organization or a consumers or small businesses to engage with you, how important is and, and should organization be looking at solution providers and fintech partnerships? So how important are those outside organizations to bring the tools that can, that can build these engagements, maybe provide them on a turnkey basis, or maybe just help you meet that journey? It's incredibly important. I mean, I think Stuart said it earlier. It's hard to get great digital and technology talent to come work for a bank and then not only get them to come work for a bank, but be able to retain them. And so I think you can still garner and achieve getting that talent. But on a scale that drives speed, it makes it incredibly challenging. And so I think having those partners that help complement your internal team to, to do that acceleration is important. So whether it's a solution whether it's a partner to help build on a platform you already have, it's 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 important. Speed in today's world is probably one of the most important things, given given all of the um, competitive landscape we have with fintechs. Well, you know, it's interesting because Terrafina is a good example that if if you're trying to to meet the needs of consumers, those needs are not stopping in place and saying, "Okay, I got my target." They continually evolve, and and I think you know it's a great example where your relationship with Terrafina and, and with others is that I can't hit a moving target that continues to move outward unless I work with third parties. So, so from your standpoint, Stuart, you know, when you look at third party relationships, if an organization is having a struggle, let's say they're, they're, they just, you get paralysis of analysis, they're looking at all these different possibilities and models and integrations between different partners, you know, why should financial institutions look at fintech and third-party relationships? But even more important, you know, what does it bring to the table? I mean, you you were talking about the various categories here. So when we thought about Terrafina and we, you know, we had some of our kind of selection criteria in terms of the customer experience, being able to plug uh, other enabling technologies in there that changed our back office processes was, was really important to us so we went from you know 
previously less than 50% of our applications been straight through to now something like 95% of the applications that are on the Terrafina platform are, are straight through. They're, they're just not touched by, by a human. And then we started to think broader about the opportunity in the sort of fintech ecosystem to help, you know, not just solve the challenges that we had, but where that, where else in their business they might have some challenges. So, you know, we're particularly big in CRE. We've been active really in the fintech community, both in terms of engagement. Also, we've made um, you know a few a few investments. And one of the things we thought about was, I suppose, a level of curation. So, making relationships with fintechs like built um smart rent these types of businesses out there um some of which like we're using built but we're also you know opening up that channel for for our customers as well so i think you know in some ways some of these relationships they don't even need to really be direct in the sense that they enable the bank to you know provide better service but just being able to introduce these technologies you know in the same way you know as a relationship we might we may well have introduced and and networked amongst business owners now we you know we want to be as helpful as possible to to our customers so you know i think you know we try and think about it very broadly when we think about the ecosystem and you know how we how we help our customers just better realize their dreams okay and and finally stuart um last question for both of you when you look at the next year when you look at 2022 and you're, and you're really looking at strategic planning right now what is your biggest focus on what you really want to move what area are you trying to move the needle the most within your organization right now for 2022 i'm really excited about the work that we're doing in cannabis banking i didn't see that one coming (laughs) Uh, we're one of the largest banks taking um cannabis deposits right now and we're actively working on payment solutions for that for that market which i'm you know super excited it's in a fascinating kind of subject area Obviously, highly regulated, but huge amounts of opportunity. So the fact that we can see from seat to sale what's happening around our compliance in a transaction. Also, for me, like my mind, I'm just like so. Suddenly, we can see all the way down the supply chain. Making a credit decision uh, with that type of data becomes intriguing to me there's there's a lot lots of product development i want to i want to do around there so that's that's one example of the types of niches that we're we're exploring um for me it's i want to i call them digital table stakes a lot of these things we've been talking about they should just be table stakes no one's going to differentiate with account opening quite honestly it's just you can't you can't be terrible at it we need to get our customers onboarded and straight through on on the servicing channels and making sure that they can service and transact with themselves. But if I can find the niches where we can really understand the, the needs and unmet needs, then I want to layer value on top of those digital table stakes. So that that's our focus for next year. It's a lot on the table. Uh, Ross, from your perspective, if you look at 2022, what is the area or what are the areas? Um, it may not be product, it may be process, it may be something else. Where do you want to move the needle the most in 2022? You know, there's two things. I think we've got a lot of things launching this year, uh, not only just on the deposits, but on the lending side from a digital perspective. And and for us, it's about 22 and getting it to a more accelerated but broader level. When I when we look at our mortgage and our SBA footprint, it's by far connected into regions 
that are far greater than where we have our, our core banking locations. And so when we launched that this year, we don't have to be in close proximity to any of our, our branches. And so I think that's really will be a big focus. I think the second one is around automation. We use robotics today. It has really accelerated our ability to weather the volume in mortgages this year because um, that's where we started. We're doing it in a couple other pockets, but I think there's a massive opportunity as we grow to automate operations and back office. And so that's, to me, the area that I get really excited about because I've been in banking my entire career. And as you as you get bigger, uh, you got more volume and some of those things are easily automated through um, through robotics. And so to me, that's our, our next focus, which is which is exciting because I, I don't think there's really a, a simple way to do it. But I think to me, it's it's something I, I want us to do because I think it's going to be so powerful uh, as we grow. You know, Ross Stewart, this has really been exciting. Um, I want to thank Terafina for bringing you both to the table and, and having the discussion. You know, I I really miss having the engagement with the people that are actually doing it in the field. It's exciting. I, I think the challenges are massive, but you're showing um, with both your organizations that the future is really exciting and that there's really opportunity out there if you focus on speed, simplicity, and delivering a good experience to the consumer and to the customer overall. And the way to get there is working with partners such as Terafina to, to get there and, and, and be able to use the leverage the intelligence that's out there already to move forward. I mean, this has been a tremendous joy and a great opportunity to really see what's possible and to see what can be done. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Jim Stewart, great to be with you. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform Solutions, our extension of the Banking Transform podcast. If you enjoyed today's interview, be sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to give our show a five-star rating. Also, catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out our research we are doing for the Digital Bank Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, audio engineer, Sean Roll Hoffman, and video producer, Will Prince. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember, all great changes are preceded by chaos. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.